No. <laughs> Thank you. 
Good to see you. We are glad you're here. Just want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. And um, we're glad the Guatemala team slash Honduras team made it back. Um, they got here about one o'clock in the morning. So if Mark starts falling asleep, y'all wake him up, okay? Um, but if you look in the announcement page, there's a couple things just to let you see um, the, the, the psalm and prayers going on this, if you have time and then pictorial directory. It's important for us to be able to update that, to be able to pray for one another, know, who each, know the people who are members of our church, so you can see that information. And then, ladies, there are two events for you also there. But we're glad you're here. If you're ready to get started, why don't you stand up and move around and greet some folks? We're really glad you're here today. It is really good to have you here today. It's the first one I read the same way. If you want to be seated, that'd be great. And um, we are glad you're here. We're going to shift it around a little bit and do the Tanzanian video later. But um, we want to give you at least a little bit of an overview of what happened on the trip. But um, to start today, our call to worship, it comes out of the book of Romans. This is the one we're doing for this month. And so I thought maybe just for a second, if you would just read those words to yourself and let it sink in. They're very familiar words right after Paul goes through all the depth of Romans 8, 9, and 10. Then he comes to this, um, this, this great passage. But let's read these words out loud together. Would you join me? And let's make sure everybody can hear you. Come on. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And everyone said, amen. Let's pray together. Would you join me? Father, we want to come before you and confess those words. They are true. And we thank you for the great gift that you've given us, the gift of eternal life. We thank you that we can come and worship you. And I pray, Lord, that as we worship you today, we will turn our attention toward you. Lord, there's a lot going on in everyone's life. There are a lot of things we have waiting on us this week and all these things that are pressures on our time and our calendar and our schedules. But Holy Spirit, would you let us just for a moment, 
Focus on you. Put all those things aside. Let the calmness of this moment come in and let it surround us and protect us from distractions. And help us, Lord, to look toward you and worship you as you deserve to be worshiped. From the reading now of your scripture, to singing, to preaching, to giving, to everything we do, may it be done for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul told us to devote ourselves to the public reading of scripture. And this year, as we did last year, we're picking a passage out of each book of the Bible. And we're reading today from the book of Ezekiel. And Joe Bob's got it. Come on, Joe Bob. Good morning. Today's scripture is from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 20 through 24. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Joe Bob. Let's stand, church. Let's continue to worship. Let's sing songs about who our God is this morning. i mm-hmm. 
next song, um, there are times that the Lord will ask me to put a song in the set. And this is one of those times that I really believe that God really wants to speak very clearly to someone here today. To know that you are not hidden and that you are not forgotten and you are not hopeless and that God sees you today and he's here to rescue you. Every one of our testimonies is that story that without the mercy and the grace and the love of God, we would be doomed and he rescues us. We are drowning in our sin and he comes and he gives us the person of Christ. So this is for each one of us, but I believe it is for a few people in here that God is speaking very directly to today.
you be seated, but let's, let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you and thank you that you are indeed in the rescue business. And you don't just rescue, you totally restore. And you take us from death. You bring us to life. We praise you. Father, you know each heart that's in this room. You know every need and You know the agony and the joys. And we just lift them up to you, Father. Those who are lost in our homes, in our neighborhoods, maybe even in this room, we lift them to you. The needs that may seem very small in some people's eyes, I thank you that they're not small in yours. The truth is, everything's small compared to you. You are big and able to do all things. So we can bring all things to you. Regardless of what the world may classify it as, it's a need. and It's a hurt. It's a longing. Father, we, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. Thank you that the Guatemala team is back. And look forward to hearing what happened there and and God I just pray that you would even now uh, move in the hearts of those who are reached there and those in Ecuador and those in Tanzania where we've been recently those reached right here in Vacation Bible School and other ministries of our church I just pray God that you would move and you move in us Help us to know you. Let your word speak to us clearly today, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, we, we have a, a video we want to show you. Just kind of give you an idea of what happened in Tanzania. Um, let you know one of the pastors who's preaching and then the pastor at the very end, the same man, he and his wife, Sarah, that's Kelly and Sarah. They're, they're the pastors we worked with. So let's... Let's turn our attention to the screen. from all the way from America to here. Sometimes people are telling me, why do you go to the Masai in the bush? Go where they are, bring them. Go to the edge of darkness, bring many to the presence of God. I thank you for your prayer, your, 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 your ministers who have come all the way from United States. They will just come because they want to serve you. Use us, Lord. Let this opportunity not pass by. Let us reach and bring many I into your kingdom in Jesus' name. My name is Noel Matayo. 
I am aged 21 years old. As you can see here, I am here with Lake Auntie Livingstone. Me, I am a Maasai and I know more about Maasai. Our culture, our good culture which is so, so very different from maybe other cultures worldwide. As dressing style, as you can see my friend here wearing this one, it is one of our identification of our culture. I'm so very happy to be with our friends who are here ready for helping our community, changing about health, and also telling them about the word of God. So as you can see, people uh, have a lot of talents, maybe sickness, but they are so very ready here to help them and change them through giving ideas, medicine, spending time with them, changing the generation of tomorrow to be so very important more than today. And to open our community eyes to see far from where they think they can reach. And I can see here my friend Lake. He was so very ready to give me positive ideas, changing me, asking him maybe about God. I've been talking to them about their, their walk with God, what they've been through um, life here in the Maasai village, and it's extremely encouraging. Noel here said he wants to be a lawyer one day, and then Livingston said he wants to come back here in the Maasai village and be a teacher, um, which I think is just awesome, very, very encouraging for me. Gabriel, I have a dream to be a doctor. My intention to be a doctor is not just to get a professional or to get money, but my intention is to use the name of Jesus to treat people in hospital. I want to go to the hospital to preach to those who are sick. God is able to, to, to treat each disease, even HIV. I believe God is able to treat it. I believe so much in God because he has saved me in the place where many people, they lose hope. I glorify the Lord because he stands with me and I will never leave him. I will stay in presence always. Many days ago, maybe I was dying, maybe because of the lack of the presence of Jesus in my life. Those who were coming today here to bring this medicine for us freely, we thanks because even some of the people who are living in this environment, they are not able even to go to the hospital because of the, the low level in economic matters. God using his people as today, many of them even they are accepting Jesus. Many of them, they are ready to, to give their life to Jesus. Kubariki. Yes. Goodbye. Goodbye, Kwaheri. <laughs> I praise God for Perry City Church and the heart of Brother John Tweet and his team. We thank you, God, for what you have continued to do. And by bringing the support of these brothers and sisters who have come from the United States to further the kingdom of yours by ministering to many people so that this medical clinic can be a bridge of reaching many into the Maasai community. Thank you very much. May God bless you all. Amen.
I just wanted you to get a picture or a little bit of what happened during that time. And so be in prayer for that Maasai village. That church that you saw, I've told you, some of the men in our church provided the the tin for the roof, the windows and the doors. Um, the church there provided the blocks. And so we've got a, some, some equity in that church and, and many of the people who came to Christ. And um, so let's just continue to pray for all those mission trips as we continue. Keith continued working in Mombasa and others as they continue. So let's pray again. Would you join me? And then we'll, we'll look at our scripture. Father, thank you for the opportunity to go. But help us remember not just across the ocean, but across the street. Help us to be faithful in all things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. James chapter 3, we're going to close the third chapter out, verses 13 through 18. And that, those are the words that will be on your screen. But I want to read all the way through chapter 4, verse 10. Um, so make sure you have your Bibles and, and, and kind of get an idea of where we're going in all this section. So if you're able, won't you stand and honor the reading of God's Word? Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's our text. But let's look at what's coming. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealousy, jealously over the Spirit and has, that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. As, as we come to the end of chapter 3, I want to remind you that James kind of gave us an outline of where he was going back in chapter 1. If you look on the screen, you'll see the words of chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. And, and these words show us a, an outline of what James is doing in this entire text. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That's chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And, and James has talked about these three things. And he talked about the least of these and how we deal with them in chapter 2. He, he talked about bridling the tongue. And we saw that powerfully last week as, as he dealt with it in chapter 3. And now as we come to the end of chapter 3, as we move into chapter 4, James is beginning to tell us how to keep ourselves unstained from the world. And he'll show us that all, really all the way through the text I just read through chapter 4, verse 10. What we see in our text is God-given wisdom. God-given wisdom. We're going to compare and contrast two types of wisdom in the text today. But we see God-given wisdom. It's, it's given, it's not achieved. You, you don't have to necessarily go to school to have this kind of wisdom. Now, it's, it's helpful to go to school, obviously, and to be educated. But I've met people with several PhDs who don't have this kind of wisdom. I've also met some of those preachers from Sand Mountain who, who didn't have an eighth grade education, but they had this wisdom and they knew God and they knew God's word and, and wisdom just poured out from them. This is a wisdom that, that can be had in our lives, but as we're going to see in chapter four, this wisdom will not be had in our lives if we don't live it out in a right relationship with Christ. So there's, there's this knowledge that has to happen and then there's this relationship that has to be lived out. And so I just want to show you in God-given wisdom, it begins and ends with the knowledge of God. It begins and ends with the knowledge of God. I just read in, in Psalms two days ago, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But it's not just that you believe there's a God, but that you know God. We, we could turn to a number of passages that, that deal with this kind of knowledge, but let me just point you to two, and they're very familiar, and they say almost identical things. Psalm chapter 111, Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear, the honor, the, 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 the honoring being in awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And then there are several verses you could choose out of Proverbs, but Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. God's wisdom requires that we have a good understanding of Him that we know who he is and we know what his word says. You see, he's revealed himself to us in the pages of the word. He's revealed himself to us in creation, yes, but, but we have to see that God's special revelation to us is through his word and he tells us who he is in his word. I've told you, I've been praying through, meditating on this, the prayers of Paul, especially in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, and then also in Colossians. And what I'm amazed about as I read the prayers of Paul is, is how bold Paul is in the things that he asks for. But as I studied that, I couldn't get over the things that he was asking and, and, and comparing it to how I pray and how I hear prayers. And I'm not judging your prayers. I'm just saying we don't typically pray boldly like the Apostle Paul prayed. 
But the more I meditated on it and the more I studied those prayers, the more I began to see that, that what Paul prays for in terms of these amazing blessings all come out of knowledge of God. The wisdom that comes from the knowledge of God leads to these blessings. Let me give you some examples. He prays in Ephesians that, and in Colossians that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that we could walk in him, so that we could bear fruit in him, so that we could grow in him. Paul prays that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He prays that the love of Christ, and this is in Philippians, the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge, or excuse me, in Ephesians, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. Now think about that, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I know I've pointed this out recently, but how can you know something that surpasses knowledge? Only by the Holy Spirit. That we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. It comes through this knowledge of God's love. He, he prays that our love, this is Philippians, that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And even in Philemon, when he's praying, he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith would be effective. Why? For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us in Christ. Paul prays for all these blessings, but he centers the blessings in our knowledge of him. Godly wisdom begins in the knowledge of God. That we know who he is. That our knowledge increases in our minds. But not just in our minds. That it increases in our experience in the way that we live day to day with him. We grow in godly wisdom. That wisdom comes through knowledge, as I've said, but, but it always, and let me say it again, it always moves from understanding to practice. It's one thing to have head knowledge. It's one thing to know all about the things of God and the theology of God and to, to be able to argue with people and, and make them feel dumb because of all that you know. But do you know God? I pulled down a, a book, uh, if you've never read it, it's J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. And I pulled it down this morning. I want to be reminded of what he said in chapter 2. It starts with, he says in chapter 2, he says he was walking with this scholar who had given up all the, the academic pursuits that he had over a clash with the doctrines of grace. So he took a stand on theology and he lost his hope for academic advancement. But he said this, I've never forgotten this. He says, but it doesn't matter. For I've known God and they haven't. That phrase has is, is always stuck with me. I have known God. Do you know God? Not just about him. But do you know him? Do you know him as he's revealed? It, it leads from head. Yes, it's got to be up here. You've got to know him. It leads to practice. Look at verse 13. That by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let him show his work. True wisdom comes from a profound understanding of the greatness of God that leads to Christ-like character. 
that, that we become like Jesus in the meekness of wisdom. I was thinking in, in this this week and, and thinking about this meekness of wisdom, and it, 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 it kind of triggered a thought. But I was, I was thinking about the great leaders of the Bible, even the great leaders of human history. And we could all argue about who the greatest leaders are, but, but I would put forth two leaders that are the greatest leaders that have ever walked the earth. The first one is secondary to the second one, but, but let me start with the, with the, the, I think maybe the greatest leader that we've ever read about, and, and, and that would just be Moses. Think about what Moses accomplished. Yes, he had his mistakes, but, 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 but religions all across the world go back and look at Moses, and, and you look at Moses and all that he accomplished and all the greatness of, of Moses. I mean, Moses was a man that, that the Bible says God came down into the tent of meeting and spoke with him as a friend speaks to a friend. Moses is a man that goes up on a mountain and doesn't eat or drink for 40 days and spends time in the presence of God. That's a supernatural fast. I understand it. Then he comes down and chastises the people for their lack of holiness, and he goes back on the mountain again and does the same thing. Moses was a man who had great, great experience with God, unlike anything that, that, that sometimes we can even imagine. But when you look in the Bible, this is what it says in Numbers 12, 3 about Moses. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. The greatest man in the Old Testament, that, that is my, you may say Abraham or someone else, and he would also fit that bill. But the greatest man to ever walk in the Old Testament life was Moses. And the text says he was very meek. He had the meekness that James is talking about that comes with godly wisdom. Now, the greatest man that's ever walked the earth, I hope you would all agree with me, is Jesus Christ. Jesus came and walked this earth. He was the God-man, and he, he came and walked and taught and did things beyond anything we could imagine. Moses just pointed away to him. He was just a shadow. Jesus is the light. But listen to what Jesus said about himself in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus was a man who lived out meekness. He really is a man who lived out the Beatitudes that we study in Matthew. He epitomized all of them. And this Bible tells us that, that when we come to the things of God, that, that, that who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, we'll come back to that word in a moment, but by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom starts with knowledge of God, but that knowledge always leads from understanding to practice, and, and that leads us to Christ-likeness. It always leads us to Christ-likeness, and I think it's what James is talking about here, that godly wisdom, and we're going to see some attributes of it in just a moment, godly wisdom leads us to Christ-likeness. 
In verse 13, we see God-given wisdom, and, and we'll come back to it in verses 17 through, through 18, but, but we ought to deal with 14 through 16 first. And what we find in 14 through 16 is another type of wisdom, and it's worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom. God's wisdom leads to good works. God's wisdom leads to meekness. But worldly wisdom leads to an altogether different place. Earthly wisdom leads, look what he says, to bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. What's bitter jealousy? I love R. Kent Hughes. R. Kent Hughes said this, bitter jealousy is harsh zeal. You know people who are zealous, no matter what it is, they're, they're zealous about whatever they're passionate about. But when you, you take that zeal, that zeal, and you, you take it and you make it harsh, you, you don't really want to be around people like that, do you? It's just not interesting to be around them. What, where, does, where does bitter jealousy and selfish ambition of the world, where does it lead us? In that same part, R. Kent Hughes told a story about two men who lived in the city. And, and one was envious and the other was covetous. So one was guilty of envy, the other was guilty, guilty of coveting. And the city leader, the ruler of the city, brought both of them together and he gave them an offer. This shows you where worldly wisdom goes, okay? He says, here's the deal. I'm going to let you ask for something, and I will give the first person who asks anything that he wants. Anything you desire in the entire world will be yours, but there's one condition. The second person gets twice as much as you ask for yourself. He says to the envious man, you go first. So the envious man begins to think about all the things he could ask for. He thinks about what he could get and what he could bring for himself and all these amazing things that, that were within the rule of the city's ability to give him. And he's thinking about all these awesome things. But as he begins to think about all the awesome things he could have for himself, he realizes that if he gets that, the other man gets twice as much. And he couldn't bear with it. He couldn't bear the thought of having all that greatness if the other man was going to have twice as much. So he goes before the city ruler. He says, you can have anything you want, but the other man gets twice as much. What do you want? He says, I choose to have one eye put out. It'll hit you later. I'll just lose one eye. The other man can lose two. That's where worldly wisdom will take you. Church, that's where we see in politics today. We will cut off whatever it takes to keep the other person from getting something. It's what we not only see in politics, it's what we see in business. And not just in business, but we see it in the church. Worldly wisdom is dominant. It will lead you to lose one eye because you can't bear the thought of someone else being blessed more than you. That's worldly wisdom. What's the origin of both? 
Just consider that for a moment. What's the origin of both of these wisdoms? Well, the first one is pretty obvious. It's wisdom from above. It's verse 17. It's, it's heavenly wisdom. It comes from God. Again, it's given, not achieved. But worldly wisdom is not just worldly. You remember when I told you last week, I said, I said one of the problems with the power of the tongue is that James says it's fueled by hell. Now, we don't, we don't like to think when we're cutting somebody down or, or we're doing something with the tongue that is, that is against God. We don't like to think that that's fueled by hell, but that's exactly what James tells us. And he says the same thing here. Look at verse 15. He says, this is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I couldn't help but think of my friend Doug back there. There's, when you're cooking Cajun food, there's a Cajun trio, right? There's, there's onion, there's bell pepper, and there's what? Garlic. Okay, there's, there's a quartet sometimes. There's a, there's, a, there's a demonic trio here. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. One... One leads to jealousy. One leads to selfish ambition. One leads to boasting and lying. And, and look at what he says, every vile practice. But the other leads to a harvest of righteousness. Now, which will you choose? I think it would be a fool to say, I want worldly wisdom. But it's got to go from here to here. Which will you choose? Worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? Wisdom from the demonic or wisdom from above? Which will you choose? And, and here's what I would ask you. How has the decision to choose heavenly wisdom impacted today? Now you're here. That's a step. Okay? Praise the Lord. You're here. But what about tomorrow? And what about the next day? I'll be, I'll be honest. I got up early this morning grumpy. I did not want the clock to go off when it went off this morning. I wanted to sleep in. But I got up and I got my coffee. And I sat down and I began to read the Psalms. And I read Psalm 16. And when I read Psalm 16, I had to stop and I said, God, I'm sorry for being grumpy about getting up to be with you today. I ought to get up and say, God, I get to be with you today. But I, I got up and thought, why has it got to be so early? Worldly wisdom is from below. Heavenly wisdom is from above. But you and I will have to spend time getting to know God to have it. And that knowledge will lead us to practice, and that practice will lead us to Christ's likeness. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen the moment you pray to receive Christ. It's a lifetime of growing in him. A lifetime of getting to know him. Of being able to say at some point in your life, I have 
known God. There's something else that James shows us here that in the last two verses, let me just get you to look at them real quick. But the wisdom that is from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is what James is showing us. He's showing us a beautiful life. A beautiful life. He said, now where do you get that? Well, go back to verse 13. In verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. By his good conduct. Just focus on that word good for a second. There there are two main words in the Greek language for good. One is just it's God. It's intrinsically good. He's good intrinsically of himself. It has, he has the qualities of goodness. But that's not the word James uses here. He uses the word kalos, K-A-L-O-S in, in English. Kalos. That word speaks of that which is lovely, that which is good, that which is attractive, wholesome and beautiful. James is saying that the wisdom that is from above produces a beautiful life. I think he's saying to us, and if, if you get nothing else, just please tune in for the next few moments. I think James is saying that that knowledge and understanding of the greatness of God should lead us to act accordingly. Knowledge and understanding of the greatness of God should lead us to act accordingly. He is the supreme beauty of the universe. He is the supreme beauty And when we behold him, we're changed. What the world needs is not more earthly wisdom coming from the church. We don't need to display to the world bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. We should not be displaying to the world vile conduct. We should be beholding Jesus and seeing the beauty of Christ and being so overwhelmed with him that it leads us to be peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Those are self-explanatory. But understand this. They're Jesus. That's who Jesus is. And you know what the world is saying today? Yeah, but if you act like that, they'll run over you. Yes. 
Yes, they will. And you know what Jesus said? I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Blessed are you when you are persecuted and reviled and evil things are said against you. When do we begin to think that we're not supposed to be reviled for our godly wisdom? Jesus was all of this and crucified. They are obvious in the life of Christ, but, but I would ask you, and I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you, are they obvious to the world in the life of the church? How many people have you met in this world who give off the aroma of Christ? Just give the aroma of Christ. One of the greatest and godliest men I've ever met was, and I've mentioned him recently, it was T.W. Hunt. If you grew up in the 80s with all the, the Bible study material, he wrote the book called Prayer Life. He also wrote the workbook called The Mind of Christ. Don Whitney has spoken here. Don Whitney said, T.W. was the most prayerful man I've ever known. I... Um, I got a call from my dad when I was in the church in Huntsville, and he said, John, T.W. is here in Gadsden, and he's finished the conference, and no church will use him for Wednesday night. Do you want him? And I, yes. I'd studied his book. I was doing all these things, and, and I taught prayer life, and I said, absolutely. He says, you got to come get him. And then when you come get him, the next morning, you got to take him to Birmingham. I said, I was working on my doctorate at the time. I was working on a paper, the relationship between prayer and evangelism. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interview T.W. all the way from Gadsden to Huntsville about prayer and evangelism. Well, that was my intention. When you get in the presence of T.W. Hunt, you talk about what he wants to talk about. You know what he wanted to talk about? Jesus. The man, the man just had a, 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 a presence about him. I'm not overstating it. I've gone back and read several accounts where he spoke in different churches, and, and it's almost always the same. The preacher sat on the front row and thought, is that it? Because he was a music minister, and, and, and he wasn't what I would call an expositor. He, he got up and he began to speak, and then he'd go over to the piano and begin to play, and you think, is that it? And then all of a sudden you'd hear the rush of feet as people flooded to the front and fell on their faces before God. T.W. was a man who just spent time in the presence of God. I'm, I thought about him because I met his, his daughter recently at a luncheon at the convention for Southwestern. Her middle name was Hunt, and I didn't know for sure until she prayed. And when she prayed, I thought, that's T.W.'s daughter. I want to live that life, church. And I want our church to be known for the presence of God. I really don't care about politics. And I don't give a rip about the economics, even though I, I understand the importance but I care that we're like Jesus.
and I care that I'm like Jesus. And the Spirit has been ripping me apart lately over pride. Getting in the presence of Jesus will change you. He, he says it's a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Does the world associate us with a harvest of righteousness? Does the world associate us with a harvest of peace? Are we peacemakers? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. I think it would do well for us to do a lot of serious soul searching. Our church is a good church. I've sat with a lot of pastors. Keith could tell you. Who have been ripped apart and beat up by churches. And I hug their necks and I pray for them and I try to encourage them and I walk away thinking, God, thank you that our church is not like that. We don't bicker. I don't make a liar out of me and start. For the most part, we don't fight. I'm talking about inside the walls. But are we dominated by the fruit of the Spirit? I thought about this. How would Pell City be impacted if our church suddenly ceased to exist on this corner? How would my neighborhood be different if Kim and I were no longer there? How would the workplace be if your light was taken away? How would school be different if you weren't there? God has called us to live in him. He's called us to live in his spirit. And that's a beautiful life. It's the result of living for the all-glorious one in chapter 2, verse 1. We see him for who he is and we walk in him. Does it mean we never confront sin? No, Jesus did. People often say Jesus was a friend of sinners. Of course he was. Everyone he met was a sinner. He's the only one on the earth who wasn't a sinner. But Jesus lived such a way that sinners were attracted to him. And, and then he shared the truth with them. And, and some went away in their sin and some went away in holiness. But they were attracted and not repelled by the beautiful life that he lived. The religious leaders didn't see it as beautiful. Do we? I wonder if I read these two sets of attributes, would you just in your own mind identify which one is most like you? Which is more prominent, A or B? Here's A. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, lying, disorder, and evil practice. Or B. Purity, peace, gentleness, reasonableness, full of mercy, good fruit, 
impartial and sincere. What's the fruit of your life? What's the harvest? Here's my challenge for you. It goes all the way back to the first chapters of Genesis. God made a garden for Adam and Eve. He placed them in that garden and he had relationship with them. We don't know all the details, but it says in the cool of the evening, God came to walk with them. They knew he was coming because they hid. So it tells me they always walked with him in the cool of the evening. I want to challenge you to find out about a God who will walk with you in the cool of the evening. Who will walk with you early in the morning before anyone else gets up. I want to challenge you to not just drink your coffee in the morning, but to drink it with him. And not just read the word to read it, but to read it with him. And as you get in your car or get on your lawnmower or get on a tractor or get on whatever it is you're going to do, your computer, get on it with him and walk with him. He's glorious. There's no one like him. Do you know my Jesus? Do you know him? I'll just close with this illustration you've heard me share before. It just popped in my head. An elderly African-American man audited a science class. The professor got up and waxed profane about the things about God and the lack of God and on and on and on he went. And he asked for questions and this old gentleman reached down in his bag and he pulled out an apple and he took a bite he said yes sir this apple is it sweet or sour and the professor said I have no idea I've not tasted your apple he said yes sir and neither have you tasted my Jesus taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man or woman who takes refuge in him. Amen. I'm asking you to bow your heads for a moment. Worldly wisdom, godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom, heavenly wisdom. Wisdom from above, wisdom from below. Which will you pursue? God, I simply ask that you would help me and help everyone in this room and those who are watching at home see you for who you are. And may the beauty of the sight so change us that we will pursue you with everything we have.
God, I praise you. And I confess I need you. And though I got up grumpy, I'm glad I got up. Because you had things to say today. And it's not just for preachers. It's for everyone who would listen. Speak, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing. and I'll be right here in the front if you need to make a public decision. We had a couple join the church in the first service. And maybe it's something you need to do today. I don't know. You do what God's called you to do. Let's stand together and sing.
not everything you want. Aren't you thankful he didn't give you everything you wanted over your life? Everything you need. And I know sometimes you think, wait a minute, you, you don't know he didn't come through. God knows what we need more than we do. We have to trust him. He's a good, good father, amen? He's a good, good father. It's an appropriate benediction that I just want to close with. If you would just bow your heads. Right after this guest, I'll be standing over here and I'd love to meet you and talk to you. And I hope that you will continue to pray for one another. But listen to these words. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. Our ushers will be at the door. We encourage you to give us God's given to you. And I hope that you will walk with Jesus this week. God bless you. Thank you for being here.